billion people, living in 195 countries, speaking over 7,000 languages. The world's greatest problem is lostness and it's growing every day. Lostness is a blindness to the gospel and a spiritual grip that leads to eternal separation from God. When we see the world without the eternal hope of the gospel, compassion is cultivated and it fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. By God's grace, we live missionally when we engage this world with the love, hope, and peace of the gospel message. Because we know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We will not be silent. We will not ignore. We will not stand still. From the Great Commission, we go. Let's follow the leader to every nation. Morning, McGregor Baptist Church. So glad to be with you today. My name is Danny, and just want to say on behalf of all the missionaries represented here today, thank you so much for your hospitality this week. We've enjoyed uh, fellowship. We've enjoyed getting to know uh, you. And I'll say a blessing for us as missionaries is it's, it's great to see what God is doing other places in the world. So I've enjoyed really this reunion, so to speak, of missionaries coming together and sharing stories about uh, what God's doing. And uh, I would encourage you to, to chat with the missionaries over on Main Street at the end of today, too, if you hadn't had the chance to do that already. Uh, so just a little bit, real quick, about my family and my ministry. So uh, my wife, Sarah, and we have six children. And for the past seven years, we've served in Zambia, Africa, which is a country in southern Africa. And it's a landlocked country uh, that's there. So no beaches like here in Florida, unfortunately. Yeah, but you wouldn't want to go in the water anyway. Crocs and hippos uh, make that kind of kind of difficult. <laughs> um, but we serve with Family Legacy Missions International. It's an orphan care organization. Zambia has the highest orphan rate per capita of anywhere else in the world, largely due to the AIDS epidemic that wiped out an entire generation and left a lot of kids uh, with no one to care for them. And so we care for 13,000 children in the capital city of Lusaka. Uh, and we do that primarily through an education platform we own and operate 22 Christian schools where the kids uh, come and they, they, they're staying with their aunt or their uncle or their grandparents as long as they have a safe home to be in. Uh, they're very poverty stricken, but as long as it's safe, they stay with their families. But they come to us every day for an education, counseling, discipleship, a hot meal, and so much more. And uh, for those kids that have greater needs. They have no one to take care of them. We have a residential care facility called the Tree of Life, uh, which is a 100-acre property that has 65 homes on it where 8 to 10 children live in each home. We're caring for about 500 kids right now. And they stay there for approximately five years or so is the average stay until they're able to be reintegrated back into their communities. A lot of these kids are coming from broken homes. And so a lot of our ministry and family legacy is really helping these families uh, heal whatever is broken. And the gospel is central to that healing process. And so that's what I do. My work with Family Legacy is getting to focus on the spiritual content. So I write a lot of curriculum uh, that's used over in Zambia. I train a lot of our staff uh, that's there in Zambia uh, how to disciple uh, the kids. I take several trips to Zambia every year. Uh, and uh, in June and July, our whole family goes over to Zambia for our Camp Life program. Uh, Camp Life is a ministry, that's me teaching to uh, about 
500 uh, vulnerable children that are there. These are kids that we identify that need our program. And Americans come, we take about 100 Americans every week for seven weeks in a row over to Zambia. You get to be a camp counselor basically for 10 vulnerable children that week. And then you come back to the US on fire to advocate for these kids, find them sponsors to be in our program. So if you're interested at all in camp life or we have other missions trip opportunities, if you're interested in sponsoring a child, um, we'd love to have you visit us uh, over on Main Street at our booth that's there. Now, enough about me. Get to the message this morning. So this theme is follow the leader. And so it would be an absolute shame if we had a theme called follow the leader and yet we didn't play a game of follow the leader the whole weekend long. So we need to play a game of follow the leader. So I'm the leader, you do what I do, okay? Make sure you have a little room beside you. We're gonna touch your nose like this. Uh-huh. Gonna point up to Jesus. Yep, we're gonna wave our arms a little bit. All right, now's when it gets crazier. All right, we're gonna do wacky jacks. That's what this looks like. Ready? Okay. What? You follow the leader until the leader asks you to do something too crazy. Follow the leader until it gets difficult. There's no greater tragedy in the global church today is that many Christians are waiting for the call to go, take the gospel to all nations when God has already said go. I don't know where it ever came into our thinking that I need some... (laughs) a sign from God or an audible voice or some inner impression of the heart when God has already given us his word. How we do that looks different, you know, for every person, but why do we struggle with the call to go? To focus on people groups that still yet to hear the gospel or the marginalized or disenfranchised demographics all over the world. And there's a lot of reasons because the enemy works overtime to keep you from obeying that call because the last thing he wants is the spread of the gospel. But I think if we boil down all of our excuses, and if you hear me say it lovingly, our disobedience to the call is that we struggle with loving people. Like Jesus loved people. I think if we really saw people as Jesus sees them, the overflow of our heart would say they need Jesus and I'm gonna be the one to show them Jesus. And so really this call to go boils down to how do I love people like Jesus did? And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. And there's someone in scripture that found out (laughs) through a story that Jesus told that he was very deficient in love. He thought he was good at loving others, but when Jesus told him what was really required to love, He found out how deficient he was in love. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, if you're not there this morning. This is a very familiar passage for those of you who grew up in church world. It's what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? But hopefully you see it through maybe a little different lens this morning. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this man was an expert in the law, the text says, and he rightly deduces that all the commandments of the law can be boiled down to these two commandments, love God and love people. I'm not sure why he skips over the loving God part. He doesn't ask a question about what does it mean to love God more. Maybe he thought he was an expert in that already. I don't know. But he asks the question, what, must, you know, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And Jesus is going to show him how woefully inadequate he has. He has this definition of love in his mind. And Jesus is going to show him that he's very deficient at, at loving others. And when we're deficient at loving others, then we are deficient in loving God too. Because loving people and loving God are two sides of the same coin. We can't do one without the other. The disciple John wrote in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his Brother, And so my love for people becomes the thermometer of which I can measure my love for God. If my love for people is cold, then my love for God is cold. And so Jesus obliges this man when he says, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Because Jesus knows that if I can show this man how deficient he is in loving others, at the same time I can show him how his love for God is not that strong either. None of us would be without the gospel. And we need Jesus' help. So Jesus is going to define for us what true love looks like. He crafts a story that shows what it looks like. And so here's the big idea this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say or remember anything else today, remember this. This is at the top of your handout. It says, following the leader into his mission to save the world requires involves loving people like Jesus loved people. And loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. I'm gonna unpack what that means, to spend ourselves. What do I mean by that? It's a kind of love that we're not used to. That it costs us something. And Jesus is gonna explain it as he unveils this story of the Good Samaritan. Let's read from verse 30. So Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he, oh, and likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three 
do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So how does Jesus want us to love others? When I read this passage, there are four elements of love that jumped off the page at me. Maybe you would see more, but four main elements. And um, I did my best preaching at McGregor Baptist Church to alliterate these points. I'm not as good at it as Pastor Russell, but I'll give it my best shot. First thing that we see in this passage that Jesus wants us to do is love often requires abandoning status. We see this in the negative example of the priest and the Levite who did nothing to help this man but just walked right by. We know to be a Christian living in the world, we have to go against the flow of culture. No matter, and that doesn't matter if you live in America or Zambia. So one of the things that I need to preach often in Zambia when I'm there is uh, against this idea that when you achieve a certain position, you're somehow above other people and that this job is beneath me. Zambia is a culture of hierarchy and after you claw your way out of poverty and you achieve a level of status, then everybody serves you. That's typical Zambian leadership. And I preach against that there all the time, saying that's not the kingdom culture. And if we're gonna be like, if we're gonna love like Jesus wants us to love, we have to get past the I'll leave that for someone else to do mentality. You know, Jesus intentionally picked a priest and a Levite as characters in this story to prove this very point, that it doesn't matter who you are or what class you're from or what status you've achieved, if God has put someone in your path that needs love, we should see it as a divine appointment. Now listen, if we're willing to rush past someone who is in desperate need, then we need to confess that status is an issue for us. I know that I'm guilty more than I'd like to admit of doing the same thing that the priest and the Levite did. Seeing a need, but doing nothing about it. And living in a, a country for seven years where I was the minority and treated differently by police and immigration officials because the color of my skin has made me more self-aware of how often I'm guilty of doing nothing to lessen the power differential that I sometimes see displayed here in the US between people of status and foreigners. I'll give you an example. I don't think I've ever walked past someone that I saw was dying and neglected to help them, but I have walked past opportunities that were dark and I had the option to shed a little bit of light on that conversation and didn't. One example is I was officiating a wedding here in, or in um, North Carolina last March and I flew from Zambia and landed in Philadelphia. It wasn't my final destination, but landed there in the city of brotherly love, which is a misnomer, by the way. And I was going through the customs office, uh, the customs, and I 
heard and saw a customs official berating an older man who could not speak English. And I was like, well, customs officer is busy with them, so I'm just going to pull my bags and, and walk by. And the Lord impressed upon me in that moment, like, Danny, you probably could have said something to bring some light, <laughs> to be an advocate for this man who desperately needed one in that moment. But I just minded my own business. So loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. And abandoning status is one of the things that he wants us to do. Second thing that we see in this passage is that love often requires avoiding social boundaries. The big social barrier here in Jesus' story that he's telling is racism. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They were taught from the time they were little to hate the other people group, maybe not even knowing why. They avoided each other at all costs. And Jesus knows that we create social boundaries, intentional or not, and he's calling us to tear them down. You know, maybe like Samaritans or Jews, you might have been taught from the time you were small that certain people groups just cannot be trusted. There was a study done from the years 2020 to 2022, so very recent. What do you think was the number one state for people immigrating from other countries into that state? Texas, Florida, number one. Some of you, that's not a surprise, right? Now, Jesus said, go into all the world to preach the gospel, but Floridians have it easy because the nations are coming to you. They're here. Now, can I be real this morning? I know that not all Floridians like those immigration statistics. To be honest, I get frustrated when I walk into Walmart and I'm looking for an item and I ask somebody where I can find this item and the answer is no habla inglés. But one tenant of McGregor's mission statement is think biblically. So I need to let the Bible and the gospel frame my thinking instead of the culture and my sinful flesh, right? And many of us have chosen to let fear or naivete or selfishness shape our opinions of immigrants instead of the kind of love that God is calling us to. The kind of love that the Samaritan showed to a desperate Jewish man. And I'm gonna expand this idea in the Beyond the Notes podcast this week. Namely, how do we get better at loving the immigrants that God has put on our doorstep? Loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. The third element of love we see in the Good Samaritan passage is that love often requires accepting 
sacrifice. A child of God, this is where God is gonna smash some of our excuses of why we choose not to go when he's already commanded it. If you hear it lovingly, he's gonna smash the excuses of our disobedience. Our excuses are often rooted in selfishness. You know, if I go, well then it'll cost me my health, my time, it's too much money to go on that short-term trip. It'll use up all my vacation time. It may involve a career choice, change. <laughs> and I've spent a lot of time building this career. If it's gonna cost me these things, then I'd prefer to stay right where I am, thank you very much. What's Jesus' response to all that, you think? Yeah, it'll cost you. Being a follower of mine will cost you. Remember I, I told you that? <laughs> Remember when I asked you to count the cost? Are you willing to follow me into just what is easy and not into the things that are hard? Remember when I said that if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me? This is what I meant. Loving others will require you to spend yourself. There's no way of getting around that. Another part of McGregor's mission statement is loving sacrificially. What did the, great, the good Samaritan sacrifice in this passage? Well, first he sacrificed his safety. You know, if you walked across and you found a man that was beaten and laying on the curb before running up to help, I think I would have been like, like, are the robbers still here? Are they still waiting, lying behind a bush somewhere that they're gonna come attack me too, right? But the good Samaritan threw safety to the curb and went and helped this man. And I wanna say this as humbly as I can this morning and not come across as some giant, spiritual missionary because I am not. But I think safety is an idol for many Americans. I think our love and desire for safety keeps most people off of the mission field. When we, when we told our family and friends that our family was gonna move to Zambia and go to the mission field, what's the number one question you think we got? Is it safe? Not, what opportunities are you gonna have to share the gospel or tell me more about how you're gonna love on vulnerable children? Is it safe? What about those opportunities for your kids? What's the medical care they're like? Now, these are all important questions that missionaries do have to ask and consider, but it's one consideration out of many, not the least of which is the eternal salvation of people who desperately need the gospel. We had a decision to make back in 2020 when COVID hit uh, because our doctor um, that works for Family Legacy was encouraging all of us to come back to the US. He said, any small town hospital is gonna be able to treat you better if you get COVID than what you're gonna be able to be treated here because the medical um, condition in Zambia is pretty bleak. 
But Sarah and I talked about it, prayed about it, and felt like we, we cannot abandon Zambians in their greatest time of need. It's why we're here. And we have to lay safety aside and trust the Lord when he says, I will be with you always. I've heard many people tell me over the years, I would come to Zambia, but at my age, or with my XYZ health problem and all that travel, that's just too far. And I usually smile and encourage them to get involved in God's mission other ways. But if I was being courageous enough, standing on what I know to be biblical truth, like I'm gonna tell you this morning, is loving God requires us to spend ourselves. Loving others requires us to spend ourselves. Does God want you to risk your health for the sake of sharing the gospel with people who definitely, desperately need to hear it? I think so. To be honest, I can't think of a better way to go if I'm gonna go than to be serving the Lord while it's happening. And let me tell you, there are people that have inspired me over the years. Uh, we had a team from Iowa, our sending church, where I was a pastor before moving uh, to Zambia, who sent a team of people a few years ago. And there was a lady that came on that team and she was legally blind. And she didn't let that stop her. And we were giving them, the team, a tour of our children's village. And at the time, we were digging up trenches all over the village because we were laying in new water and sewer lines in the village. And so as we were going through giving a tour, she had no choice but to, and remember, she's, she can't see, just take a step of faith <laughs> over that ditch. What an inspiration. Someone who just threw her health and safety to the wind and said, I'm gonna obey this call no matter what. Loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. And this great, the, the Samaritan here, he sacrificed his safety. And he also sacrificed his resources. He used his own oil, his own wine, his own bandages. He set the man on his own animal, paid for um, them to be take, him to be taken care of, gave him extra money, Right? And this is why part of McGregor's mission statement is giving generously. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this morning because I'm pretty confident that McGregor is good at this, giving generously. In fact, my family has been the recipients for seven years of this church's generosity, and you've proven your generosity by hosting 30-some missionaries this weekend. But let me just say this challenge. Do not let your giving be a substitute for the command to go. Because God clearly commands both. And finally, the good Samaritan here, he sacrifices his time. And this is a hard one, especially for people like me who are very task-driven. I think, you know, the, I think you know, the main reason that the priest and Levite, you saw this and they just kind of walks by, it's probably the same reason that I have when I see someone, I'm driving and I see someone broken down on the side of the road. Man, if I stop, it's gonna put me off my schedule. And I've got somewhere to be, people to meet. 
given up all of that. When God puts a divine appointment in front of you, I think is what he wants, he calls us to do. It's one of those areas that God has, this Holy Spirit whispers into my ear every day is, Danny, ministry is interruption. (laughs) This person that has this need is more important than that email. Loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. The fourth element and final element of love I think we see in this passage is that love often requires adopting sympathy. Now I use the word sympathy because it was an S and I needed an S, but what I really mean is not sympathy, it's more like empathy and compassion, walking through someone's hurt and trial with them. When Jesus says love your neighbor, I think sometimes we just forget the love part. And the kind of love that God wants us to have is not a love that can be done from a distance. It's up close. How many of us help the homeless and sit and listen to them instead of letting our outreach stop at giving? How many of us sign petitions maybe to let refugees into the country, but actually meet, instead of actually meeting refugees and helping them learn English and get their driver's license. Again, we'll talk more in that podcast, of the Beyond the Notes podcast about opportunities like that this week. Loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves. Now you've heard me say many times today about spending yourself. Where does that come from? Where'd you get that phrase, Danny? It's from Isaiah 58 verse 10. It says, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Jesus has called us to be the light of the world, right? And he says, your light will shine the brightest when you spend yourself and you love in the way that I want you to love. And Jesus is our example in all of this. Jesus did every single one of the things that the good Samaritan did in this passage and that he's calling us to do. Did Jesus abandon his position or status? Absolutely. Philippians 2 says when he he emptied himself of all but love. Did Jesus reach across social boundaries? Absolutely he did. He talked to the woman at the well. He touched lepers. He got chided by the religious leaders for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Did he sacrifice his time? There were crowds always pressing in around him. Did he sacrifice his resources? He gave up his comforts for ministry. When somebody wanted to follow him, he said, are you sure? Because the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Did he sacrifice his safety? He died on the cross. Of course he didn't. Did he show empathy and compassion, loving up close instead of from a distance? (laughs) It's what the incarnation is all about. It's what we celebrate every Christmas where love came down and God lived with us. So how do we get better at love? Two practical things. How do we get better at loving people? Number one, ask for it. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned. So... Pray, Lord, help me to love people better. That's the first one. Second thing is practice it. How do we get better at anything that we do? We practice it, right? I wish I could get into running shape without running. 
But the only way you get into running shape is by running, all right, practicing it. And so God's already put the call on your life to go. But you don't become a missionary by getting on a plane. It starts right where you are. So practice, you know, because if, if you struggle loving people here and now, you will struggle with it in any other country in the world. And so practice it here and now, loving people. And again, we'll talk more about that in the uh, podcast this week. So who is God calling you to love? I would encourage you to pick a fight. I don't know if it's the unborn, if it's children, vulnerable orphans, if it's single moms, whatever the, the demographic that God puts on your heart to take the gospel to, engage in the spiritual battle. There are 30 ministries over here in Main Street. There's a good chance that one of them matches up with your passions and what God has made you passionate about and the fight that he has called you to. And I'm just gonna do a shameless plug here because Pastor Wade gave me the opportunity to do it. But if you're... If you're um, passion is vulnerable children and orphans. Visit us uh, at the Family Legacy booth after the service. Uh, we'd love to talk with you more. You can pick up a child to sponsor uh, today to be in one of our schools receiving discipleship and food and education. Uh, we have opportunities at Family Legacy for you to go to Zambia uh, on, on trips where you can love on kids, where you can uh, we have trips for handymen, we have trips for medical teams, we have uh, trips for teachers, uh, so come visit us if that is the call that God has put on your heart. God wants you to live missionally, that final tenant of McGregor's mission statement, but don't wait until the church creates a specific ministry for what you wanna do. I'd be rich every time, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that as a pastor. You know, pastor, the church really needs a ministry for single moms, there really needs a ministry. You're the church, go do it. You don't need Pastor Wade's permission or wait until he plans a trip to Africa for you to go love on vulnerable children. Right, go do it. God's already called you, you're the church. Following the leader into his mission to save the world involves loving people like Jesus loved people and loving others like Jesus requires us to spend ourselves.